Hello, and welcome back to Pros and Content. I'm Ellen Schwartz. I am your host. I am Senior Director of Digital Demand Generation here at Notch. I'm excited to once again be joined by my partner in growth marketing crime, Phoebe Noche. Hi, Phoebe. Hi, Ellen. And our third voice today is Maddie Kessel, who's also here on the Notch team. Right now, you're Director of Partnerships, but you have a really cool background in lots of things, marketing tech stack, content marketing. You've dabbled in it yourself um, at the very beginning of your career as well. So I am excited to have you here. How are you? Doing well. I'm so glad to be here too. We are here today to talk about something that's on top of many, many marketers' minds right now, something we covered a lot in the podcast, and that is how to prove the ROI of your marketing efforts. There's a lot that that statement encompasses. What we're finding is that someone is going to come to you at some point and say, hey, is this working? You can call it a blind spot. You can call it a black hole. You can call it the missing middle of these marketing metrics, but it exists. Yeah, is it working? That's always a tough thing to answer. I think it just depends on the type of organization you're at, right? Oftentimes, it's hard to prove whether or not something's working. Whether it's because you were handed metrics that you were supposed to measure up to that don't necessarily actually align with your job, been there, or you just don't have the right tools or data or whatever it is to actually prove the efficacy of what you're doing. Usually the issue that like a lot of marketing teams run into is that leadership may be tying you to revenue with no way of figuring out how you even impact revenue. When I hear the question, is it working? The first thing that comes to mind to me or for me is what does working mean? What does working look like? And often it's coming top down. So the organization more often than not has an idea of what their strategic priorities are. And so working can mean seeing those realized. If not in totality, then you know the tactics are in motion. Right. And so often there's some sort of reach or revenue, audience growth to signify effectiveness. So if that's happening at the top level, you can say that's top down planning from the org. How do we then bottom up and ensure that we're kind of implementing the small nodules that, that allow the organization as an organism to realize success. And so that can play out across so many different teams. And what for me is kind of an ongoing observation is that. If the teams aren't in coordination, it's really hard to arrive there together, if, if at all, right? So starting to understand where each department, team, individual contributor plays a role becomes, becomes quite relevant to the conversation. Yeah. And I think, too, we all three, obviously, we're in B2B, we're in SaaS. And I think those are two, the combo of the two, but even those two in their own silos is a spot where it's really difficult. You can't point to... A marketing effort and tie it directly to revenue because there's so many steps in between. There's so many ways that a customer needs to interact with your brand before making a multi-thousand or million dollar decision. So there's a lot that makes this hard. But the thing is that Mature Marketer is able to do this now. It's been tough. It's been a, a long road to get to this point. But I think that the data that we all have access to now and some of the tools that are coming out are making it easier to look way, way down the funnel like mm-hmm. you need to do. So I'm going to play a clip from one of our awesome guests. This is Avi Bhatnagar. He is a VP over at Metallic. He, I think, really succinctly says what, what I'm trying to say here. If you're running a tactic, you want to be able to look at what the outputs are from the campaign and how you could look at those outputs and be able to quickly iterate 
and to be able to run different types of A-B tests, multivariate tests, to be able to see different expected outcomes. That by itself allows the marketer to be closely tied to the data that they're delivering on for that particular campaign. And then, of course, thinking about the big picture, how do these efforts tie together at an aggregate level for impacting the bottom line? And I think what Avi says, it's 100% true, but I would actually kind of like flip the script. And I think people should really start from the top. And Maddie, you alluded to this before, but like really understanding from each department and even within departments, like what is the business vision? And then based on the business vision, what are the business outcomes? And then for marketing teams and maybe even individually within marketing, what are the outcomes that you and your team can drive impact the most? And those are probably the ones that you should be tackling. And then based on that, you know, what are those objectives that you need to hit? What are the KPIs, the tactics, the metrics, all that, and how that eventually ladders up to the business outcome and the vision. And this actually really makes me think of conversations that have been coming up really repeatedly, right? The focus being on kind of the audience journey, the actions that we're looking to solicit from the folks who are encountering our brand more often than not in a digital space. So thinking about, you know, what content pages, channels are driving these actions. If they're not driving actions, why are they not driving actions, right? So going from a much more kind of theoretical strategic objective to the more kind of granular bits and bobs of of a marketing campaign, executing on that campaign and iterating back through. For your point about all the bits and bobs, it's so easy to get lost. Like once you've decided on something that you're actually going to do, it's easy to get lost in the doing, the execution part of things. And so if you haven't done your due diligence on making sure that what the reason is that you're actually even doing it in the first place and whether or not that's going to move the needle for something that your company cares about, and you just start optimizing on like little stuff and, and you don't... These are focused on the wrong things just because right. we can't qualify or quantify them. I'm going to jump in too, just to underline why we're talking about this at all. It's because there's this big urgency right now as you look to the economy, there is an expectation being put on marketers that they can prove this out. So like growth at all costs is definitely being replaced by efficient growth. You don't get to have that. The David Ogilvy quote about how you know what half of your marketing budget's doing, but not the other half. And that's okay because half of it's working does not fly. You need to make sure that most of your dollars are working for you. You might have some set aside like for experimentation, but... Otherwise, you need to be you need to have a positive ROI on a lot of this stuff. Um, what else are you guys seeing? Do you feel like when it comes to just the reasons that this is important now, where I don't know that it has been even five years before? I think it was seven years ago. I had a client who was literally just throwing their marketing budget away on a ton of stuff that you it was really hard to prove ROI, sponsoring events, throwing their own huge conferences, sponsor content a lot of display ads, like that type of thing, which if you have the right strategy and you're doing it on an iterative basis, like I can see how that could actually work for you, but they were just bleeding money and they were doing it for user acquisition. Like they were just trying to spend, spend so that they could get more users. But the reality of the times today, you can't do that. And I think at least from like the startup mentality, a lot of investors, they just are way more risk averse these days. And you have to show, like you said, Alan, that positive ROI, 
you don't have the budgets that you, you used to have. Phoebe, you mentioned that having the right strategy is so important, right? But what happens if you don't have the instrumentation or the data set to substantiate the outcome? These marketers who are working with an audience whom we don't know, endeavoring to connect with them through content and create a connection that ultimately will lead to a business objective, make money, expand presence. We're asking questions about their experience of our content, of our brand, that we don't have the right instruments to measure, right? So if we're asking about the audience journey, but we're using traditional web analytics with a focus on a single session, we know that that's not the duration of, of a buying cycle, right? So using these traditional web analytics to determine sentiment or to determine what content is truly accelerating the conversions. I mean, everyone wants that first party data. It's like asking somebody to give you the barometric pressure and they only have a thermometer. So it sounds to me like there's there's a big disconnect between having these lofty goals, having a really interesting strategy to reach them, but then lacking the infrastructure, the data, or the means by which to tell the story of plans, budgets, execution, and then return, really to tell it tip to tail. Right. People use proxy metrics. You've had to cobble together what you do have to say that session time is important or that traffic is important, or that this landing page drove, you know, so many downloads. And that's just kind of where the, where the measurement stopped. And that's where what we're seeing is that those metrics just kind of aren't doing the job anymore. You need to connect it down to revenue, something like what's the next step from where you started to where you're going. So we have some really cool examples from the podcast. We spoke with Karina Owens. She's an ABM marketer over at Gong. And she had this really good point that I was embarrassed to admit, but happy to learn. I had not learned before. And she talks a lot about having a control group. So here she is. And I always have a control group as well. So similar accounts that haven't gone through that same level of customization and treatment and program spend. We just did a really great end of quarter review where we did see that 100% more engagement when we did deploy a strategy compared to those with the control group. So I think it's really critical to have that in place as well when you're looking back. So there's something to compare it to or have a frame of reference. Mm. I like this perspective on frame of reference and being able to benchmark, right? Especially when an initiative is kind of top down, if they're not in the marketing department or they're not on the revenue side of the house and they're kind of dissociated from the day-to-day activities, it may be that kind of to my earlier point, there is no instrumentation or means of measuring your success as you're tracking towards this kind of less than tangible goal. I like what you said, Maddie. And also just thinking about how we talk about the importance of control groups, even to our clients, like you, you want to be able to show how your campaign compares to status quo, right? Or how this particular time period improved like year over year because of X, Y, Z reasons or whatever tactics that you use during that time period. And so I think that is, is definitely a good way to sort of at least prove to some extent that at least what you're doing is directionally correct. And the challenge there is that I hear in my conversations with partners that they have a tremendous ability to laser in on kind of the beginning and the end portion of of journeys, you know, when their audience is finding them. Great. You can SEO until the cows come home. You can direct 100 million eyeballs somewhere. And we know when they convert, everything in between is truly murky. It's been this black box. But the thing is, you know, if you get 100 million eyeballs and you don't get 
any actual revenue or pipeline to speak of, then we're just saying we got a hundred million because we can. So that's what I mean by laser focusing in on the elements that we can quantify as opposed to it's truly a challenge, the ineffable, the hard to express, the hard to define, especially in the absence of numbers to support it. We get these directional ideas and then we're told to reverse engineer numbers and processes to support that. I mean, Maddie, what you just said, I feel like that really ties back to, you know, one of the earlier questions that we were asking about, like, do we know if it's working? I think a lot of marketers will will feel that direct pain because that's how people get into the loops of buying lead lists or putting a ton of money into paid so that you can show that this many people clicked on your ad or drove this many impressions, but you can't actually show or so what? Well, is so it what? actually yeah, is it actually driving pipeline? Is it actually driving revenue? Are these people actually quality people? Yeah, I could spend a ton of money to to bring in some random people across the internet, but are are they the people that you want? Are they are is it ending in deals? You know, right. And a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with a partner who is going through the process of their annual planning. Oof, do not envy that. And they were trying to kind of use up the balance of their agency spend, and they they essentially gave marching orders: go ahead, create four hundred pieces of content, four hundred across the entire contract. And they had a balance of maybe 150. And so my question was to them, well, to what ends, to what audience, what kind of action are you hoping this content will provoke? And what's interesting is when we kind of get into this mad money frenzy of we have to use the resources that are available to us because we need to execute and deliver on this kind of amorphous monolith of, of a handed down direction. We sometimes get caught, we get lost in, in the rat race and we lose all semblance of detail in favor of really wide strokes. Well, we have these deliverables. We can quantify, we can count the number of pieces and we can decide what channels that go out across, but we lose, we lose sight of the fact that each piece of content, each engagement with the brand is intended to either inspire or drive action or affinity. So one of the things, Maddie, that you hit on kind of at the very top of the ROI discussion is making sure that you know what's valuable. And I think that there's a lot that happens in a journey that might not be the signing of paperwork to become a client or the the handing over of a credit card. And that's where I have this really great conversation with Blake Strozik. He's from Transfix, talking about kind of all of these other leading metrics that you can lean into that still plays into what the two of you were just saying, where like, yes, you can get tons of impressions, but did it drive anything further down the pipeline? Like the other thing that popped in my brain while you two were talking about that was very much like, you can get your cost per lead down, which has been a, a metric that people have looked at forever. You can get your cost per lead down way, way low. But then if your quality matches that low, low price, like you're not going to, it's not going to convert anyway. It's not going to actually result in any business metrics. So I want to play this clip from Blake real fast, just because I think it'll get some juices flowing as far as what else you can be looking at to show that these programs are valuable. Look, we might not have the sale yet because we have a nine month sales cycle. But when we compare our year over year uh, opportunity volume from this month to last year, we can see an increase. And then when we look at our demo request to meeting or meeting to, you know, stage one opportunity or stage two opportunity, have you set up, when we look at those conversion rates, we should see an increase. So even though you're not seeing that sale yet, you should see within your marketing funnel, some efficiencies starting to happen. I think that's, well, first, definitely true. And, and that's especially applicable if you have a really long sales cycle or just a really high consideration product or service. But I, I'm just thinking back to to like how I'm thinking about it, even just on a day-to-day basis. 
I think about customer journeys a lot, just a lot in my day. And yes, ideally, I would love to see those journeys end in conversion, but I'm also relatively happy to see more open customer journeys. Like they may not have closed yet, but if I'm driving more journeys, that means that at least people are engaged. They're at least browsing our site. They're spending time with our brand um, versus, you know, I could just be pouring money into ad spend where, you know, they, it's a single touch and then they run away and never come back. I I can at least, you know, optimize based on the journey. So just thinking about how I'm thinking about that in a day-to-day basis. Yeah. You would start to see, I would think lots of open incomplete journeys from that source too, which would just kind of tell you that if you see a bunch of source from the paid journey, just kind of piling up there at the beginning without moving forward after whatever we kind of established the appropriate amount of time is say we have a three month sales cycle. If they haven't moved anywhere in a month and a half, probably need to reevaluate your spend. Cumulative journey, right? We're thinking about engaging them throughout the whole cycle. What of the digital touch points that we're putting out there actually moving the audience from first to last touch. And it's across multiple sessions, maybe across multiple domains and also across multiple stakeholders, the signatory, the executive at the top. They're not all looking for the same information. They're not all looking for the same outcomes or use cases or stories. So what content, not only just about generating conversions across the journey, but also continuing to build that awareness and nurture various folks at different stages in that journey. Well, not just the content, but also you know, what channels, because people, uh, even within the same account, there's, you know, different people respond to different things on different channels. And so that's why I think it's so important to not only look at, you know, what your initial referral source is, because that tells you how you maybe created the demand, but what keeps people continuing to engage with your brand, keep coming back, you know, if they ghosted you, why did they re-engage with you? And, And seeing what those, you know, sort of mid touch refers are is, is so important and something that I, I think is a missed opportunity that a lot of people aren't looking at. And also knowing how long it takes for someone to go from reading their first piece of content to converting or coming back to the referral source, I think that there is a place for it. Which of them are leading to the most, and I'd say the most qualified, but also the quickest conversions there. And so being able to, especially in this time of budget slashes or horse trading, we're seeing a lot of budgets being swapped out relative to where the business is kind of interested in investing. Where do we double down and what do we pivot away from? And that can certainly apply to the referral channels and the the, the channels across which we're trying to find, engage and and convert the audience. Yeah. And I want to underline too, Phoebe, what you said about how do you re-engage the audiences? Because I was looking through the questions from the podcast guests just holistically. So there were a set of questions that I asked at the end of every episode, one of them being, what is keeping you up at night as a digital demand growth marketer? Like a third of them said, how do you keep audiences engaged? How do you keep them coming back for more, even if they might not be ready to buy from you? You can't optimize the middle bit off of your first referral source or your conversion because you just don't know how many steps were there in the middle if there was some flavor of content that actually just keeps people coming back for more or is like that light bulb piece of content where someone finally does raise their hand and say, yes, I will take a demo, speak to advisor, book an agent, whatever it might be. And is it going to be an emotional or a rational response, right? Are folks approaching it from the perspective of making their lives easier or advancing their careers, advancing objectives? There's so many reasons that folks engage 
and are interested in having conversations. So we're kind of coming towards the end of our time together. So I wanted to talk really quickly about this piece of ROI that I think might be one of the more difficult pieces to implement, which is how do you communicate it to the rest of the organization so that the rest of the org understands and cares? And you're kind of starting to train your whole organization to start to trust you. They start to say, you know, not overtly, not verbatim saying, hey, we understand that it is working. What specifically can we help with or how is it helping me? Well, you said it. You just dropped the word trust. And what comes to mind for me is I know that a resource is effective or at least worth its weight when it engenders confidence or trust said another way. So coming back to what Phoebe had said earlier, sometimes that takes the form of concrete numbers. Sometimes it's a customer story so that it can be kind of verified or, you know, that third party evidence substantiated. I also think this kind of goes back to our conversation about tying things to business outcomes, because if you've done the work and actually made sure that what you're doing literally ties to business outcomes, ultimately like business outcomes are what the business cares about. And if you are moving the needle positively in that direction, you're going to be asked to do more of it. One other piece of advice that I like is to make sure that you are where you can tying the metrics to ones that already exist in the business and ones that people already care about so that you can compare as much as possible apples to apples so that you can show its effectiveness and and speak the same language, have that same sort of like nomenclature and vocabulary for people who may not believe in what you're doing just yet. Yeah. And if you have someone who really is just a, a big naysayer about what you are are not doing, it's really doing that, speaking their language, but also tying it to their metrics is a great way to endear yourself because it's like, it's literally answering that kind of emotional question for them. What are you doing for me specifically? Why do I need to care about what you're doing? I like the horse trading analogy, Maddie, with budgets coming around. Like if they're coming for your budget, you would want to probably very much be with them and say, hey, I'm doing this for you. Come on, like, let's be pals. Something that can can be missing is the nuts and bolts. What, what truly constitutes realizing those strategic priorities? Because if you're trying to, grow revenue, then maybe what you may need is to close seven deals. And to have seven deals close, you may need to have, you know, 20 plus in pipeline and to have 20 plus in pipeline that are in excess of X number of dollars. And so if you pull it back a step further and you bring it back to things that are truly relevant to marketing and that can kind of be snowballed into larger revenue team initiatives like deals, maybe giving an actual number. We we plan to see this number of conversions, this number of high value actions. We anticipate decreasing time to conversion by X across this sample set. We're going to create a way and a means by which to evaluate the effectiveness of content and use that model to, on an ongoing basis, create in air quotes, if you're listening to the, the right kind of content right? So starting to promote not only real numbers, but also efficiency all by way through transparency. That to me would be very compelling in terms of of proving the effectiveness of marketing deliverables. I completely agree. We are going to wrap up now, but I think just to summarize all of the things that we've hit on, because we did talk about a lot of different things. The root of this is that it's on the responsibility of marketers to start doing this work. You have to prove that your your efforts are being tied to a bigger 
cause, if you will, or maybe just the bottom line, a North Star, something that relates to the whole business. We're just at a point in data and metrics that you can't sit by and go on off of your gut feel, which is a lot of what marketers have been able to do. So any final thoughts? What would your takeaways be? I mean, Maddie was talking earlier about not sitting at the big kids table, but I think marketing is increasingly sitting at the big kids table. And so if you want to be there, you're going to be under way more scrutiny, especially budget scrutiny around this this sort of economic climate. It's about moving from thoughts and feelings to a story and overarching narrative that can be substantiated with data and, and kind of in summation, if we're lacking the tools or if we're not asking the right questions, we certainly can't get to that point where we're delivering meaningful, relevant information and tying that back to larger strategic objectives. Maddie and Phoebe, thank you so much. Your insights have been really helpful. And I hope our audience got something out of this too. If you did, you can find us over on LinkedIn. And I hope that we see you soon. I guess not see you because it's a podcast. But thank you, Maddie. Thank you, Phoebe. Thanks, Alan. Thank you. Top notch. Thanks for listening to Pros and Content. Don't forget to subscribe if you found this episode informative. This season, we're focused on how marketers prove their contribution to business growth at all stages of the funnel. Find more episodes wherever you're listening and learn more about uncovering your organization's true audience journey at notch.com. That's K-N-O-T-C-H dot com.